Hi, everyone. This is Wendy Kennedy. Welcome to the Entrepreneurial Podcast, where we showcase and celebrate entrepreneurial success. People doing innovative and amazing things to ignite entrepreneurs, innovation, and entrepreneurial thinking. everyone. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Entrepreneurial Podcast. Today, we zoom in on the world of business incubation and what it takes to support entrepreneurs with ideas and turn them into high-impact companies. And there's no one more qualified on this topic than Mark Long, who directs one of the top biotech incubators in the world, the Sid Martin Biotechnology Institute at the University of Florida in Gainesville. Mark also oversees incubation for The Hub at UF, a 100,000-square-foot mixed-use incubator. Mark and I sat down together for a great conversation about things he's passionate about in the world of incubation, and Mark never disappoints with his quick wit and sense of humor. But underneath this casual, friendly personality is someone with deep expertise in building and managing incubators to support not only entrepreneurs, but also the communities in which they reside. Mark holds a master's degree in molecular biology and started his career in the field of clinical diagnostic medicine and medical devices, working for Baxter Healthcare, Sigma Aldrich, and Coulter Corporation. He jumped into his incubation career at Washington University in St. Louis. He's built or consulted on over 120 different incubation projects in China, Russia, the Caribbean, Malaysia, and of course throughout the United States. He's advised countless incubators, governments, municipalities, and others on incubation best practices. In 2014, Mark received the NBIA President's Award for Lifetime Achievement in Business Incubation, and in 2017, the Sid Martin Biotechnology Institute was awarded Global Incubator of the Year. Recently, in 2019, the UF Hub, was awarded the Mixed-Use Incubator. He's a sought-after speaker and advisor in the field of entrepreneurship and incubation and has authored several books, the most recent one focused on facilities management, the planning, and strategy, which you can find on Amazon. Thank you for listening, and please join me in welcoming Mark Long. Mark, welcome. It's great to have you at the entrepreneurial table. It's been uh, I've been a while trying to kind of get into your calendar so that we could uh, share a conversation. So welcome to the table. Thank you so much, Wendy. It's a pleasure to be here. Great, great. So um, we're just going to jump right in here. I think people will be really keen to hear your story and hear your perspectives. Um, I mentioned in the intro that you're the director of incubation services for UF Innovate at the University of Florida, um, wearing many hats. Uh, I guess that includes also the the UF Sid Martin Biotechnology Institute, which is I think where you and I first became acquainted. And I think you know most people um, listening may not be aware of all the great work happening at Sid Martin. So I'm hoping that we can uh, spend a little time and and talk about that as well as UF Innovate, but certainly uh, one of the top biotech uh, incubators in the world. And um, you're you're also managing uh, incubation services in a 100,000 square foot mixed use incubator, maybe in your spare time, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So um, there'll be people listening to our conversation today that will be new to the incubation space. So maybe just tell us a little bit about your story of how you got to where you are today. Sure, Wendy. Well, I was born in a small cabin and no, I'm just kidding. Actually, I am a native Hoosier. I was born in Indiana, but moved to Florida when I was very young and uh, grew up here, went to college here, lived here about 35 years uh, before uh, leaving to go to Missouri and St. Louis and Indiana. I went to school for molecular biology and got my master's uh, in that field and ended up working in industry for Coulter Corporation, uh, Baxter Healthcare, and then moved to St. Louis and worked for Sigma Aldrich uh, as vice president of sales and marketing. I've had 
close to 35 years now in clinical diagnostic medicine and medical devices before entering technology transfer and incubation at Washington University in St. Louis uh, back in about 1998. Wow, wow. Then I went to Indiana after that, uh, spent about 15 years there, uh, not only running their research and technology corporation, but also teaching entrepreneurship and management at the Kelly School of Business. And that's where I began my incubation consulting career. I've built over 120 different facilities or consulted on them around the world, Russia, China, Malaysia, the Caribbean, all over the United States. Uh, I was consulting when I moved to Florida and got asked to take over at Sid Martin, which, as you mentioned, is one of the top biotech incubators in the world. And then in September 2017, took over the hub. Uh, I received the President's Award from the NBIA for Lifetime Achievement in Business Incubation in 2014. And in 2017, won the Global Incubator of the Year Award for the Sid Martin Incubator. And just this past year, won the Mixed Use Incubator of the Year Award for the hub. I've written several books on incubation and economic development and consulted in uh, hundreds of cities, towns, municipalities, states, national governments on entrepreneurship and incubation. So um, a long and varied past, but certainly uh, I realized that incubation does work and it adds a lot to uh, global entrepreneurship. Well, and this is why I was so excited to have this conversation with you, because just that extensive background and and also a global background in looking at and, and interesting to me, too, which I didn't know um, until recently, is the depth of experience that you had on the private sector side in the medical and diagnostics area. So you can actually, you know, we're going to have a great conversation here because we can contrast between things that happen in the industry and as well on the side of incubation and university uh, university research parks. So this is going to be a, a rich one, folks. So uh, buckle in for a great conversation. So um, so when I asked you to join me for this conversation, first of all, you jumped right in. So I appreciate that. And, you know, you talked a lot in your, your response back to me about, you know, things that you're really passionate about. And uh, you were kind enough to kind of structure it and organize it in a very uh, methodical uh, way, which was great for me. Um, but you really centered on, you know, four topics that you're passionate about. And I thought what we might do is just chat about these and just go back and forth a little bit. And I can kind of ask my uh, naive questions, um, being a relative newcomer, only 15 years in the uh, playing in the incubation world. And uh, we'll go back and forth and see, uh, see what kind of comes from this. How about, how's that? That sounds terrific, Wendy. Okay. All right. So the first, um, the first topic or the first theme that, you know, we talked about, if we're going to talk about, sorry, um, incubation and, you know, what makes it work and what's going to make it work long into the future. And, you know, what are the real important nuggets of things that, if you're someone involved with company building that you need to be, you know, having foremost in your mind, one of the things that you said is it's it's all about recruitment. You know, it's recruiting uh, the right clients to the incubator. So um, first, let me ask you, why do you put recruitment kind of of all the things you could talk about with your extensive background? You put that almost at the top of the list. So talk to us a little bit about why is recruitment so important? Well, I remember a professor that worked with me at the Kelly School, and uh, he had been there about 40 years, and I, had, as a new, prof new uh, lecturer, professor, came to him and asked him for advice, and his reply was, well, it's a great job except for the students. <laughs> and and uh, that, that was confusing to me because that was the sole purpose of the job. 
And I think incubation is the same way. If you don't have clients, you don't have an incubator. You have to have good clients, quality clients, to really achieve the main goal of incubation, which is to create churn, produce graduates, um, you know, the J word, make more jobs, and enhance and enrich economic development in the area you're serving. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's key to me. That's that's getting the right clients and the best clients is what's going to make the difference in your program. And I think that that's a, a loaded topic, at least in my experience um, itself, is finding quality clients. Um, and that word quality uh, really kind of is the anchor point to the, the whole conversation is how do you find the right clients? Yes, and I, I, I think there, there's a couple of factors in there in particular. Uh, one of them is admitting up front that you're not the expert in everything. I certainly know uh, molecular biology, clinical diagnostics, medical devices uh, enough to be dangerous, but I am not an IT guy. I am not an engineer. I recruit an excellent advisory board of anywhere between 11 and 15 people, and even then still bring in subject matter experts to look at applicants to say, this is good engineering, this is good science, this is good medicine. They can help me decide if the technical aspect is there. I also bring in quality entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, successful business people to look at the business model. Uh, I think number one in finding clients is understanding that you're not gonna know everything and you're not gonna be able to screen everybody. So bring in some experts and some specialists to help you with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's the science factor, right? Which is an important one is, you know, just the, the efficacy of the science, the validity of the claims, you know, it's kind of the, the nuts and bolts around the idea. Um, talk a little bit about the, the people factor, um, the scientist that comes through the door and says, I have this wonderful idea and really, um, you know, brisks at the idea of having to think about it in terms other than the science. Absolutely. Um, I, I think, a re, a, you know, a kind of a, I have several sayings. One of my favorite ones that everybody quotes often is it's called an incubator and not a microwave for a reason. <laughs> it, it, it's not business microwave. It's a business incubator. It takes time. And as far as the people factor, I have another saying that people quote as well, which is affability is more important than ability. Mm. The ability to get along with people, the ability to take advice, the ability to understand and admit when you don't know something and seek out the right answer from the right people. You know, when you have a small company of five people and you have one bad apple, it ruins the whole company. When you have 5,000 people, it's not such a big deal and you can deal with it and you can do retraining and repurposing, all kinds of things. But in a small company, particularly with the founders, they have to have an attitude of acceptance. They have to have that, I'm willing to work with you and allow you to work with me to make this a success factor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I sometimes call that the coachability quotient. <laughs> yeah, know? very well said, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, um, and I think that gets to the heart of uh, building sustainable uh, startups, sustainable companies that can grow and, as you said earlier, uh, produce graduates and you know make an economic impact is um, at their roots do they have that DNA that says they're willing to be, uh, they're willing to learn new things and they're willing to be coached down that path, right? Right. We, we sometimes laughingly refer to them as GMOs, genetically modified organizations, because <laughs> they need to be able to incorporate into their DNA 
outside advisement, outside direction, mentoring, uh, education, all of the programs we provide for them to help them achieve success. And it's, it's interesting, you know, because I would think that, you know, just the recent experience that you've had, um, I say recent, going back to when you first came to Sid Martin, um, and I'm sure even prior to that, but, you know, I'm sure that there are, um, just like with all organizations, not everyone that comes to Sid Martin is, quote unquote, ready for incubation. Would that be a fair statement? Oh, absolutely. We actually have pre-incubation programs for, uh, we have a program here at the University of Florida called, of course, the Innovation Navigator, uh, with a capital G there, because everything Gator at UF. (laughs) Uh, But the Innovation Navigator actually takes those people who are not quite ready for prime time or ready for incubation or even ready to form a company and takes them through an educational process to prepare them to reapply to the incubator with more confidence, more data, more information, and more skills. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think this is something we should just talk about for a couple of minutes because, you know, we're, you know, when we talk about universities and we talk about these research parks at large universities like the University of Florida, um, you know, I think many people would have the impression that, you know, clients are just pouring in. Um, And I think that, you know, we marry together this conversation about you know, are they in fact pouring in and are they in fact ready? Um, it's, it seems to me that there's a need to kind of always be, you know, my term, filling the funnel, always be spreading this kind of thinking, um, like you're talking about your uh, navigator program. Um, so is that, you know, talk to me a little bit about how you do that at UF. I, I think there there is a widespread misconception that uh, at a major university, how you run the incubator is just sit at your desk and watch the companies roll in. Um, as a matter of fact, less than 50% of the companies in the incubators here are direct technologies licensed out of the University of Florida, which is uh, certainly UF is a big attraction. The The research enterprise here, which is approaching $1 billion in funded research, Uh, the amenities here of the uh, uh, instrumentation laboratory, the animal facilities, uh, the preclinical and clinical facilities, all of that enterprise is a great attraction factor. Mm. But in fact, Um, Even though the university provides a lot for us and sponsors our incubators and helps us with major maintenance issues and things, um, people still come to the incubator because of the reputation of the incubator in the end. Uh, Not only the reputation of the university and the ability to work with faculty and instrumentation and everything, but it's the reputation the incubator has of success, helping companies, graduating solid graduates, and assisting people with just about anything they need. Mm, True. And, you know, the whole concept um, about, you know, that you touch on indirectly is that whole concept of this, the importance of the ecosystem and the importance of the relationships in the community and, you know, building credibility with the community, right? Absolutely. The community, of course, is looking for different things. And that's one of the things in our metrics we have to be aware of. Uh, Community political leaders are looking for jobs, jobs, jobs. Uh, People that invest are looking for other investors and evidence of investment being made in your companies and evidence of follow-on investors being around. And the university is looking at you taking care of faculty and making faculty happy and creating Mm. companies out of faculty. So you have to consider all that in your metrics and in your operational Uh, plan for success. Yeah, and just trying to balance those two sometimes opposing um, 
philosophies, um, just in terms of the way that industry thinks and the timelines and the way that the university measures and, um, as you say, keeping uh, keeping faculty motivated and grad students and postdocs, etc. So uh, it's a it's a delicate uh, a delicate bridge to walk. Absolutely, you know, know your audience, know yeah. what they want and how to get it to them. Yeah, yeah, that's a really that's a great summary a great summary point. Um, you know, you talk about industry and you talk about community and, and it brings us to our next theme, which is, you know, show me the money, right? It's uh, a big, big, uh, big, big topic, I think, for all of us in the company building arena is, you know, talking about the world of finding funders and finding investment and building those networks. So I know this was a, a, a theme that you were really passionate about as well. So you just want to kind of jump in on this one? Absolutely. It's always about the money. If you don't have money, you can't grow your company. You can't do research. You can't hire employees. Uh, you can't advance your dreams. So uh, whenever anybody says, well, it's not just about the money, that's true. But that makes a major piece of the pie. Uh, you can't bake the pie unless you've got flour and yeast and filling and everything else and all those things take money. So definitely, I, I think some people feel there's an undue focus on the money, but how do you grow companies without it? Mm -hmm. uh, you've got to have that investment capital, pre-seed, seed, follow-on funding, series A, on and on and on. If you really want to grow companies, you've got to have a network of that. And frankly, one other thing, back to recruiting, I recruit a lot through my investment network. I tell my friends that are v VCs and angel investors, if you're putting $500,000 or $5 million into this biotech company and they're not in Sid Martin, you're not getting the value for your dollar. You're not taking advantage of programs, education, shared equipment, mentoring, advising, direct contract contacts and networks that we can provide rather than just throwing your money into something, invest and send them to us. Mm -hmm. We'll help you make them a success. So if I was to, you know, play devil's advocate here for a minute, which, you know, I occasionally do from time to time, I would say, but if I'm a small incubator in a rural part of America, you know, what are my chances of building companies if I don't, you know, have this kind of network of uh, funders available to me? Like, what what would you advise them? What do they do? I I try to encourage rural programs, and I've built a lot of rural incubators, to do three things. One is to try to build up a local or regional angel network, small as, you know, 20 individuals that put in $2,000 a piece. Mm. It's a start, and it gets attention. Take advantage of SBA funding and what the SBA has to offer. Uh, we're actually... Uh, having a program here in the next couple of weeks. And Gainesville, by the way, is not exactly a, a large metropolis. I mean, it's about 200,000 people. But the economic development lender for the Small Business Administration's Community Advantage Loans is going to be here. And let me tell you, we have her booked up with appointments all day, every day. So um, I, I think there are SBA and federal programs and SBIRs and other things your companies to take advantage of. And in addition, you need to let people know. Um, you don't have to be located uh, in Silicon Valley to maybe have the next big thing. You could be located in North Dakota, you could be located in Wisconsin, you could be located in Gainesville or, or one of the surrounding communities. You need to let people know what you've got. Uh, establish a network. Get out there and talk to VCs. Go to state meetings, national meetings, the Angel Capital Association. Go there 
and let people know I may be in a small town, but I've got somebody that's got a tremendously promising idea that you need to take a look at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's great advice. Those are great practical uh, practical suggestions for people that, you know, I don't necessarily want to single out small rural incubators. I think it's for anyone that, you know, you could be in San Antonio. Um, I think it's something that we always should be thinking about is how do we not only build a network of mentors and advisors for our entrepreneurs, but how do we build a network of um, investment options for people to be able to tap into? Because I think that's the value add, again, that the incubator offers, right? Absolutely. And, and again, what, one of the big things that we offer are, are what a lot of people would say are the intangibles. And one of those intangibles is the network we have and our advisors have and our mentors have uh, and our other companies in the building have. We have a CEO meeting quarterly and sometimes somebody will say, well, I've been trying to get a hold of somebody at ABC Capital and another CEO will say, well, I know them very well. Mm -hmm. They've funded our company. So that expansive network is a huge advantage of incubation. Building a community uh, is the only way to really be successful. Yeah, and I think that's a really great takeaway from this conversation for all of us, which is the job is never done. I mean, you can always be expanding that investment network. Um, I love the idea, by the way, of $2,000 a person, you know, times 10, 20 people, and how that can actually just start to build that platform, because that's a very small nominal amount. And you know, like you, I firmly believe that in every single community, there are people that want to, you know, make investments. There are people who want to be able to, either for their own personal interests of supporting local companies or purely as an investment vehicle. But, you know, so a small amount like that can make a, you know, a profound impact in the way that you can start to build that investment, you know, culture, that angel network culture in a community that might not have had it um, up to that point. No question about it, Wendy. When I talk to people in the incubation industry about, um, you know, their own budgets and, and their own dollars and getting sponsors, the first question I ask them is, in reality, how many Fortune 500 companies do you have in your town? And nine times out of 10, the answer is zero. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have any. And I said, well, how many businesses do you have just in general, barber shops, beauty salons, uh, auto repair shops, under 50 people? And they will say, well, hundreds of them. And my question is, don't all those people want to support more jobs, more new companies, yeah. uh, more opportunities for their children to stay local? Go out and ask for $500 a piece for them. Uh, if you get 100 people to give you $500, it's actually easier than going out and getting one person to give you 50000 Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, when we were um, at the NBIA conference recently, um, in one of the presentations that I listened to was a great, uh, it, it was exciting to, to listen to this presentation because it talked about the, you know, a new approach to setting up um, a funding, an investment arm. Um, the, the, the company was Annie Capital, um, and mm. it was a venture funding model in rural North, North and South Dakota. And I think it just points to this fact that there are um, entrepreneurial people, even in the investment world, that are looking to set up alternative funding instruments and helping in some of these um, states where there's a gap and or where it's non-existent. So that was really exciting, you know, just to see that that's um, that's something that's popped up, you know, to serve that particular part of the country. So absolutely. That's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So let's talk a little bit. Let's just shift gears here a little bit. And let's just talk about another theme, which is retention. Um, And you know, just kind of circle back to recruitment and retention, assuming we have companies that can, uh, we can fund and we've recruited them and that they can uh, start to, um, you know, move forward and, and move the ideas closer to market. 
Um, retention is a theme that you put on the table as being something that you're passionate about as well. So, um, you know, it's not, you know, you, I've heard you say it's not just about having a nice building. That's not what uh, builds retention with clients. So do you want to kind of jump off on that one? Sure. Uh, retention is almost like inviting your your relatives over for uh, a vacation. <laughs> you want them to stay, but not too long. Um, people need a sense of place. They need a sense of continuity and stability, and they love coming to a place that is more than just a building and a desk and a chair and nice lighting. They want an awesome entrepreneurial environment. They want an environment where they feel like they're stimulated. They, they gain knowledge. They gain capability. They're building their network. They're getting the right advice. They're getting the right education. Um, someone recently came to us at the hub and we said, well, how did you come to want to apply to our program here and our incubation facility? And they said, I've heard from other entrepreneurs that the hub is the place to be. Hmm. And that's what you want to do. You want to build this. And the way we build it is through making it open, friendly, accepting. I got a sponsor to pay for the coffee bar. Uh, so there's free coffee. I, I put uh, chairs and tables out in the lobby and brought in a food vendor. So there's food right there. So you can eat lunch right there if you want and not go out. Um, I have an appropriate number of programs, but not too many. You know, I've been to incubators that have three to four, one or two hour programs a week. And, you know, these guys are these these gals and guys are trying to build companies out there. They're not trying to just go to school. Mm -hmm. They need time to work on their own company. Um, they they need drop-ins. They need you to have an open door policy that so they can drop in and say, Mark, I've got a problem. Uh, can you help me with it? So uh, retention is a big thing because. Um, you don't want to just build a place where it's a revolving door. You want people to stay there an appropriate amount of time. You want people to get the head start that they need to get because in the end, you're trying to recruit them, retain them for an appropriate amount of time to get on their feet, and then remove them out into the community so that you are giving them that jump start that they need, that head start so that they're not going to move out and fail or not want to move out at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've, uh, I, have a, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, I've had some people tell me that the problem for them in their incubator is not retention, it's getting them to leave. Um, and so they say that uh, it's like the relatives, they just want to stay. It's a comfortable environment. Um, so... Uh, how do you deal with that? I mean, what do you think's happening there whenever the clients are are just kind of uh, they've set up home and they're comfortable and uh, they just want to stay there? You know, to me, it's a combination, Wendy, of the firm and the flexible. Um, my parents were that way. There were some things they were flexible about. Uh, you know, if I was you know thirty minutes late or something like that, or uh, I, I forgot to call them or, or something, but there were some things they were very firm about. Uh, you know, you didn't take dad's car without asking. Mm. Uh, that was the death penalty. Uh, so there, there's the same approach uh, is appropriate for clients. You cannot take up more than 10% of my available space for lease. Uh, so if I have... Um, 54,000 54, square foot of leasable space in a 75,000 square foot building, then when you get up to where you want more than 5,000 square foot, you should move on. Um, when you're profitable for more than 18 months because you have a product on the market and you're selling and you're making more money than you're spending, you should move on. And on top of that, the flexibility lies with the lease, making that flexible, 
but also using that as a foil. You know, we raise rates anywhere between six and 10% a year. Mm. Well, it can get so expensive that clients need to move mm. because it's not financially viable for them to stay in. Uh, if they don't hit milestones, you need to be firm in those growth milestones and those achievement milestones because you can't have people, two people with a grant that four years later is two people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you just hit on something there at the end that, that I'm certainly passionate about, um, which is just, I think that uh, when clients are growth oriented, they're going to leave. Um, you know, they're going to be looking to add employees and they're going to be, you know, that's the whole name of the game, right? Is to get out and build a company. And I think it comes back to recruitment because if you've got the right horses in the barn, um, you know, they're going to, um, perform and they're going to respond well, um, as you say, to growth milestones and achievement milestones. So, you know, it comes back to that starting with the, the right players and you, you know, you, you have this whole set of behaviors then that come along with that, where it's, they're quite comfortable to actually move out. Um, I think that, um, when I think back to this, uh, this comment that was made to me, it's been made to me several times about they don't want to leave. I think it also comes back to, um, you know, it comes back to founders, you know, and, and the founders mm -hmm. in very early stage companies. And also, you know, we think to the types of founders that, uh, you and I see in our, our day-to-day -day work, which are, you know, physicians, clinicians, uh, faculty members in the biomed, you know, it's um, deep science. And for many of them, it's their first time building a, a startup. Um, and having the companionship of a peer network of other founders can be, you know, pretty enticing to want people to stay, right? It, it can be, but that can also work for you. In that, um, uh, you know, over my 20 plus years in incubation, I've discovered that the people that want to stay are the people that are not growing, not advancing, <laughs> not doing the things they should. And their colleagues who are doing those things are the leading. So I, I think you can put that up as kind of an example of, hey, you know, look, uh, Mr. or Ms. Founder, your, your colleagues here are moving up and out, that's the general idea. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it comes to our, uh, our at least our final theme that uh, we were going to talk about today, which was just helping them to build their, um, their knowledge and their, their capabilities. And I think that's part of the, the uh, mandate in an incubator, right, is to get them ready for prime time, get them ready to function as a fully viable company um, and help them to understand, you know, training never kind of stops in terms of developing your knowledge, but, you know, to really get them started in those early days, um, you know, and I think, at least I think if I remember correctly, you know, you think a little, you think uh, similar to that, but you also have a little bit of a different definition of knowledge. I think you said it comes in two forms, right? Absolutely. Um, certainly, Every incubator has formal education programs. Um, we we use, of course, so what? Who cares? Why you? Um, we we use um, Lean Model Canvas. Uh, we use uh, some HR uh, consultants and their programs to talk about hiring, firing, interviewing, selecting. Uh, we use a local accounting firm to uh, go over taxes and how to construct a P&L and how to keep a balance sheet and how to create a budget. We have local law firms that come in and talk about intellectual property, patents, copyrights, trademark, internet um, you know, sites, and, and so on and so forth. And those are formal programs that we have at least one a month, uh, one required and one optional, usually one or two a month. But a bigger portion of knowledge comes from network. Mm -hmm. We have a tremendous networking event every month. It's called the Third Thursday at the Hub uh, from 4 to 6.30, 7 o'clock p.m., where we have free beverages and free snacks and no formal program, but yet just 
networking, just meeting your uh, colleagues. And it's not just for our clients, it's from entrepreneurs from all over North Central Florida. We've had 80 to 150 people there who step in and, and want to meet other entrepreneurs and want to hear their success stories, their trials, their tribulations. I think this helps scientists and engineers and other people who traditionally don't do this type of camaraderie thing over that edge of I'm automatically meeting new people by being in the hub and they have really good experiences that I can learn from. I think that's really cool. And I think, you know, my first thought when you first said that you have this networking event was how do you get scientists and engineers to be willing to kind of participate in these things? But it sounds to me like it's it's pretty non-threatening. It's non-intimidating. And there's no there's no set agendas. It's just kind of hanging out and kind of meeting people. Absolutely. Uh, And I think that's a key component that does attract them there is. I don't have to go listen to a speech. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to go listen to a presentation on insurance that I don't care about. Um, <laughs> I get to just meet people who are just like me. I get to meet other scientists, other engineers, uh, other um, programmers and, and network designers. This is great because it's a casual, easy, hey, you know, who are you? type atmosphere, and we've had tremendous response to it. Wow. And so on an average third Thursday, how many people come to this? I'd say it varies anywhere from probably 80 to 120, something like that. So it's it's turned out really well. We had one of the uh, scientists, actually, who's from Brazil last month, volunteer to cook homemade paella uh, for everybody. And he made three (laughs) huge batches of it. And uh, there wasn't uh, a cup full left by the end of the day. Wow, wow. You see, that's a perfect example. It doesn't have to be big, formal, and onerous. You just have to create the conditions to let people hang out. And I think for our types of scientists and engineers, that's the perfect thing, right? Is Absolutely. Just, just let them slowly kind of seep in some of this, uh, some, how easy it is when you um, put your hand out and say, you know, hey, my name is such and such. Um, and I think for all of us, though, networking is, is never an, you know, an easy thing. I think you're an unusual character if you find that easy. Um, so I think it's, um, it's fantastic that these kinds of informal, I love the fact that there's no formal agenda or formal pres- presenter, because I think it just really speaks to the fact that this is just about, you know, making new contacts, making new friends. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think there's a nice, um, you know, and I'll just speak because of having some familiarity with um, all the great work that you and your team are doing at at, uh, the Hub and at Sid Martin. There's, um, because I just want to highlight this point in our conversation, you know, you um, have made a profound impact um, on the culture there in a very short amount of time, in two years of um, really stepping up the entrepreneurial flavor and encouraging and inspiring people to to um, take a chance on their ideas. So, you know, the awards that you and, and the folks at UF have won over the last couple of years are really a testament to how powerful the work is that you're doing. Um, and all the different, and there's a nice blend there um, throughout your community of formal programs and casual collisions, I'll call it. There's just, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that recipe, you've got that recipe, you know, uh, figured out because, you know, it's obviously working. Well, again, you, you can certainly be too formal to the point of being intimidating or annoying. Um, we, we require, uh, everybody to turn in a P&L statement every quarter. We give them the format for it. It's simple, but it lets them know that we're watching you, but we're here to help you if you have problems. Mm-hmm. We have a tremendously active mentor and advisor board. Uh, former CEO of the ortho division of Johnson & Johnson is on our board. We have attorneys on our board. We have accounting people on our board. We have 
uh, very successful IT entrepreneurs. They're always there. They're there for the third Thursday. They're extremely active. I think coming into a new area, my first task was getting buy-in from the entrepreneurial community into what I was selling. Mm. And the way to do that, again, was being uh, of the appropriate mix of formal and informal, but more than that, being open door, being welcoming, being, I want the local chamber of commerce to have their meetings here. I want the local programming group to have their meetings here for free. I want to bring in the Kiwanis Club, the Rotary Club, everybody I can get in here to take a tour and see the really cool things that are going on right here in your town. Um, we often make jokes that it's almost like Disney World because we spend <laughs> half our time giving tours, but, but it has a huge impact on the community and it gets buy-in mm -hmm. and identification that incubation is good, it works, and if I know somebody that says, I'm thinking about starting a company, I'm sending them to UF Innovate. Cool. And, you know, I think that that's a, that's a, great, uh, a great place for us to kind of uh, summarize our themes because I think that's, in the end, what happens is um, you talked about the vibe in the building, but it's the vibe in the community as well is that uh, they become your best champions um, to spread the the gospel and spread the word that this is a, a great place to to bring a company, right? So absolutely, uh, and so the the cycle continues again. So okay, so we had four themes. We did pretty well. We had uh, recruitment, capital, retention, and knowledge. So. Let me uh, let me turn the round the turn for home if I keep with my horse analogy and uh, we you know we just have maybe just a couple of uh, minutes left so um, as you when you started out and you talked a little bit about you know your um, depth of career and all the different things that you've done um, you talked about and I was going to actually um, spend a little time on this but I won't since you you've introduced it but I will just bring us back to the fact that. You know, UF has received two major industry awards for incubation um, in 2017 Incubator of the Year and then two weeks ago, um, Mixed Use Entrepreneurship Center of the Year. And you've worked all over the world uh, with incubation. Um, and so many, many years of experience. It makes you feel old, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Not meaning to do that, my friend. Okay, but here's kind of um, just a, a pondering question based on that depth of experience, which is, you know, the future of incubation um, and where you see it going. You know, there's been a lot of alternative models over the last decade. There's, um, you know, all kinds of accelerators and maker spaces mm -hmm. and all kinds of different approaches or variants to helping these companies get incubated and not microwaved. I love that phrase. Yeah, um, so what's the, what's, you know, what's going to happen for incubation and what needs to happen and what's the role for, you know, where do incubators fit in this, this world? Well, I, I think we're seeing a, a consolidation in the industry, but also more of a utility in combining all these different models under one roof. For instance, in the, the hub here, the 106,000 square foot incubator that's mixed use that we have downtown, we have a co-working space. We have a 12-week accelerator program that we run three times a year. We have visiting offices that uh, service organizations, accountants, uh, attorneys, etc., can drop in and use to meet with our clients at no charge. We have formal education programs that companies, uh, CEOs go through, um, like So What, Who Cares, Why You, and some other things. We've combined all that under one roof rather than having a separate co-working space downtown mm. that can't cash flow itself or having a separate accelerator program that after a year or two, the sponsor feels like they're not getting their money for it, so they cut the funding for it, or an incubator that's trying to create deal flow and find clients. 
And we find that builds our own deal flow, Wendy. And I think that's going to be the key to the success of the future of incubation, taking people that have an idea and putting them into a co-working space and running them through an educational program, taking people that have an idea and a product or a service and running them through a 12-week accelerator program. And then both of those move into incubation. They spend a few years there maturing, growing, creating their network, and then they graduate and create that churn in the community that you serve. So I see consolidation. I see more utility by using everything at your command. And I, I see more churn development of getting companies to come through, graduate and spawn other companies, um, spinoffs from larger corporations, serial entrepreneurs. That's going to be the key to success for the future. Mm. Okay. Well, lots to think about. Lots of uh, and lots of great takeaways. So first, um, you know that that kind of brings us to our close. I want to thank you, Mark. It's been it's been such a pleasure. Uh, and I, I especially want to thank you for being so open and uh, offering of all kinds of you know uh, best practices and tips and techniques. I think for people listening to our conversation, they certainly have a, a wealth of things that they can draw on from the conversation to actually you know build success. Not only if you have an incubator, just in company building in general. Um, I think certainly one of the big takeaways uh, for me as as I listen to you talk about. Uh, the success of the companies and, and what it takes to breed an entrepreneurial community is just really having that nice, rich balance between that structured yet unstructured, um, having programs, but having the ability and flexibility to let people kind of find their their own sub-community inside. Um, and really that nice balance between staying out of their way, but also giving them the knowledge and skills to grow. So, you know, I think if there's one thing for me that resonates very highly amongst the many things we talked about, I think that's certainly uh, a big one for me. So, uh, I want to thank you immensely again. It's been, uh, it's been a great conversation and I look forward to our next one. Thank you so much, Wendy. And thanks for all you do for the entrepreneurial community. Oh, well. My pleasure. Um, if you'd like to connect with Mark, you can find him on LinkedIn at Mark S. Long. And his latest book, Facilities Management for Incubators, is available on Amazon. So until next time, enjoy your entrepreneurial journey. A special thank you to Mark Long, Director of Incubation Services at the University of Florida, for joining us to share his insights and expertise from his many years in the world of business incubation. There were a lot of great takeaways from our conversation, I'm sure you'll agree, as well as some great analogies such as the incubator versus a microwave when describing business incubators. Be the first to hear the latest from the Entrepreneurial Podcast by signing up on our blog at wendykennedy.com or subscribe to our channel in iTunes. Until next time, enjoy the ride.